Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. This time in episode 20, we're going to talk about what I'm calling the goldfish in a van problem. Then we'll also talk about why you might want to cut those wires. I have a tale from the road about a driverless van, product review of a drain, of all things, and a really interesting place to visit in South Dakota. So let's go. Hi folks, thank you for listening once again. This is episode 20. I'm going to take a quick moment to talk about the progress of the podcast here. I know many people create podcasts with goals of growth or monetary rewards or influencing people. Well, I'm not doing any of that stuff. I just love self-build vans. I think they're cool and I'm doing this for fun. And as long as people keep listening and I keep having fun, this podcast will go on. Last week, for whatever reason, we had a nice boost in numbers and I'm still having fun. So on we go. But that's an invitation to you to influence the show in any way that you would like. If there's something you'd like to hear me talk about, if there's a problem you have with what I'm saying, or anything at all, just drop me a line. I'm at builttogo.com. That's the website. There's links there to talk to me on many various platforms. And again, thank you very much for listening. So the goldfish in a van problem is a metaphor it goes something like this, and this, this is actually a real story that I've taken to apply to many aspects of van life. Guy gets on Facebook, and uh, he's in one of the many, many van life groups, and he asks a very simple question. Hey guys, how can I keep a goldfish in my van? And then, everybody tears him to pieces. Everybody. There were probably 150 responses to this guy, and 140 of those were basically accusing him of either being an idiot or a horrible person for presumably torturing a fish in that way. And I took a step back from all this, and I was like, well, isn't this kind of what van life is all about? Aren't we trying to do difficult, nigh-on-impossible things? I mean, we're trying to build a house on wheels, this is not normal. This is our challenge. This is what many of us enjoy about this is that we present problems to ourselves and we find ways to solve them. So what's so egregious about trying to have a pet goldfish in your van? Sure, there are some difficulties with this problem, but so there is also with having heat in your van or having a television or a PlayStation or anything really. So... The, the goldfish in the van problem I find fascinating because there are solutions for it if you want to look. It is possible to have a goldfish in a van. You can totally do that if you want to. And I don't think it's a terrible option for having a pet. So real quickly, just to talk about the problem literally, how would you have a goldfish in the van? Well, you would need a spill-proof container. Uh, maybe something on a gimbal, and that's that's something that moves. So as the van swerved to the right, the bowl would slide over, and it would absorb any kind of shock so that the water would stay in the bowl. Because you can't just cover it. You can't put a goldfish in, like, say, a mason jar and put the cover on tight. That won't work. And um, a goldfish is a good choice because it's a very, very inexpensive fish. It's also a very hardy fish. I have goldfish living in my backyard in a pond that I simply dug one day. They overwinter just fine. They've been out there for years, and some of them have grown eight inches long. 
these were feeder goldfish. These were fish at the pet store that were designed to be fed to other fish. So I don't feel like I'm torturing them. I feel like I've given them a new lease on life. So why not give that new lease on life in a van? The other thing you have to consider, of course, is temperature. So yes, the temperature in vans does vary greatly, and you would have to keep an eye on that. If you were in an environment where the temperature went down below freezing, you'd have to have a way to keep the water above freezing, mostly so the container wouldn't break. Because it, as it turns out, goldfish can tolerate vast ranges of temperature. My goldfish outside have survived from negative 30 Fahrenheit up to close to 100 Fahrenheit. And the water temperature, while it didn't reach those extremes, wasn't far off. I'm positive that the water at the bottom of that pond must have been about 33 degrees on those coldest days. Now, I did dig it deep enough so that there would be liquid water no matter what the temperature was outside, and that was something you'd have to think about in your van, too. You'd have to have a nice big container for this fish. So is it practical? Well, maybe not. I mean, this is something you'd have to be attentive to. It would take up a lot of space. It would have a lot of weight, and it could be catastrophic if something went wrong. Not only would you kill the fish, but you'd fill your van with water. But that's the literal aspect of the problem. The metaphorical aspect and the aspect that applies to van life is how people in van life judge each other. And I've been seeing this a lot lately, so I just thought I'd address it. Van life is not a single community. Um, there is no real such thing as van life community. I mean, there are people who have vans who think they're in it. I mean, I'm positive the people who are full-time living in their vans by choice think of themselves as van lifers. But what they may not realize is that there are people living in vans not by their choice, who think they're the van lifers and that everybody else is just a poser. And the two groups clash because the people who are van lifers by choice look down upon the homeless folks, let's call them that for a moment, who are living in their vans. And the people who are living in their vans because they don't have anywhere else to live look at these other people as usurpers who are glamorizing a lifestyle that they didn't necessarily choose. So it's an interesting dynamic there. I got called um, a new slur, a new-to-me slur anyway. Somebody on one of the Facebook forums called me a housey. They said, oh, you're just a housey. I was like, housey? What's that? And they said, oh, you live in a house and you just use a van for fun. And I was like, yeah, that perfectly describes me. But because of that, this person dismissed me completely as a human being because I wasn't living in a van full time and I had the choice not to. And then there's also the RV community that meshes in with this, who is distinct from van life because they typically don't build their own rigs and they typically stay in campgrounds, which is the kind of thing that van life folks tend to avoid. Although there are plenty of van life folks who didn't build their rigs and there are plenty of van life folks who stay in campgrounds. But even then there's more discrimination because some campgrounds won't allow camper vans in or self-built camper vans and others won't even allow RVs that are older than 10 years. It's like we have it within us that we must form a group and then keep everyone else out. Once we have our little group of however many people we're comfortable with, and social scientists might say that group is about 150 people, everybody else has to be kept out. And we must show how special we are 
by denigrating everybody else. I call bullshit. I don't think it has to be that way. I think that we can recognize the things we have in common, and that includes folks who have to live in vans, folks who choose to live in vans, and folks who have RVs. I think all of us have things in common. And that thing we have in common is that we all have problems we want to solve. Those problems are different. Each group has a different set of resources, but the problems are still there, and we all, as a crowd can source solutions for these problems to help each other out. And that is what social media can be for. So why not help make it for that? Somebody says they want to keep a lizard in their van. What's your response? I'm going to say you should lean towards one of two responses. Number one response, I have no idea about this. I'm going to ignore it. And number two response, hmm, what ideas do I have about this? What can I say that will help this person solve their problem, even if that's just encouragement? Now, you might say that everything I'm saying simply boils down to, if you have nothing to say, say nothing at all. But I'm actually trying to get a little bit deeper than that. We will bond together as people if we recognize that we are all trying to solve problems and we all help each other solve our problems. Nothing will make my day more than if I find somebody on Facebook or Instagram or wherever who has a problem that I've already solved and I can give them my solution, thus making their day better. That is the best thing in the world. And I really wish that we could focus more on that and less on, oh, those Instagram people are so annoying and, oh, look at that beat up old rusty van. That makes us look bad. They park in Walmart and then Walmart kicks us all up. Yeah. Enough of that. Seriously. So, disagree with me? Let me know. I'm totally fine with it. You want to have five minutes on the podcast and express a different view? I will give it to you. But I strongly feel and believe that we are all better served if we think of it as we are all people with problems who want to solve them. That, to me, is the best model. Okay, Tech Talk. One of the things I've noticed that a lot of people who are just exploring van life is that they're terrified, terrified of two parts of van life. And I'm not talking about how to make money. That's a whole separate thing. They're terrified of cutting a hole in their van to put in their max air fan or to put in a hole for some sort of exhaust port or whatever. And they're terrified of cutting wires. I want to focus on that one for a little bit. Whatever it is in our upbringing that has taught us that cutting wires is dangerous, it's very, very strong in some people, and you have to get over it if you want to be able to build your own van. So I have a little project for you. If you're somebody who's afraid of electricity and afraid of cutting wires, play along with me here and go ahead and buy some things for your van right now, and I'm going to help you get over your fear of electricity and cutting wires. First thing I want you to do is just buy a little spool of wire. Just a little bit. You don't need that much. Even speaker wire is fine. Doesn't matter what kind of wire it is. 18 AWG or uh, I think that's one millimeter in the UK, whatever. That's fine. So get, get a quantity of wire. Let's say four feet of wire or three feet even is enough. Then get yourself a switch. Any kind of switch will work as long as it's a, just a regular on-off switch. Buy one that you're going to use in your van. I mean, go ahead and start collecting that stuff. Then get yourself a light. 
It can be an LED light. It can be just um, a, a light bulb that would go in your taillight of your car. Some kind of little light like that, but make sure it's 12 volts. And then get yourself a 9-volt battery. Now, I know you're thinking, well, wait a minute, he just said 12 volts, and I was saying 9 volts. Doesn't matter, I'll explain. Get yourself a 9-volt battery, the kind that you would put in a smoke detector. That kind of battery. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to cut two one-foot pieces of wire, okay? That wasn't so bad, was it? You're not really afraid of that because you can see it's not connected to anything. And that's basically how you're going to work on this stuff all the time. You're going to know it's not connected to anything. Okay, with those two pieces of wire, I want you to take a bit of the insulation off on each end, say an inch. So you want to have an inch of bare wire on either end of each cable. So you're going to do that four times. You can do this with scissors if you're very careful. You can do it with your teeth, but I don't recommend that. Some people do it with a lighter. That's not great either. The best way to do it is to get a pair of wire strippers. Guess what? If you're going to be building a van, you're going to be using wire strippers a lot. Go ahead and spend five bucks on a pair of wire strippers. It's worth it. Okay, now we're going to take the switch. We're going to put it away. Okay, so now you've got two wires and the battery and the light. Go ahead and connect the two wires to either side of the light. I don't know what kind of light you have. I don't know how it is, but find a way to connect it. For this experiment here, you can just twist them together and that'll be fine. And now I want you to take the other end of the bare wire and hold it to one terminal of the battery. Basically, you're going to do that with both wires. One finger holding one wire to one terminal, another finger holding another wire to the other terminal. It's a little scary, right? You're touching the electric parts of the battery. But trust me, go ahead and do it. First, you'll notice you didn't get shocked. Actually, first, you'll probably notice the light lit up. You have completed a circuit. You have made a circuit. Congratulations, you have done wiring. Now, if the light didn't light up, there's two things that could have happened there. Either your connections aren't perfect and something's loose. Maybe your light bulb's dead. That's possible, too. Or if you're using an LED light, the polarity is wrong. That means the negative and positive are reversed. Just swap the wires and it should work. LED lights are different. They need the electricity to go in one direction. Congratulations. That's all you need to do. But remember, I asked you to buy the switch. Okay, now we're going to use the switch. Take one of the one foot wires and cut it again. Now that that's cut, go ahead and strip the ends just like we did before. You want that wire still there. And then the two pieces of bare wire that are in between the light bulb and the battery, you're going to wire those into your switch. You can see how this is working. All switches actually do is break circuits. That's it. That's all they do. Once you wire that all together, if you hold down the wires on the terminal again, you will have a complete circuit and the switch will turn it on and off. Now, if you're fancy, you can find a way to kind of attach the wires to the battery. It's a little tricky, but folks, guess what? You've done wiring and okay, it's only nine volt wiring, but that's not that far from 12 volt wiring. And there's a ton of detail that I'm leaving out. Of course, wiring can be dangerous, but the basics of it are just what you have just done. Now, this is for advanced users only, and only do it in this experiment. You will never do this in your van, but it's an interesting thing to do. With your thing completely wired up and your light bulb working, take the scissors and cut one of the wires while it's working. Go ahead. What happened? You may have seen a tiny little spark, maybe, but you didn't get electrocuted. It was fine. 
And that's usually what happens when something goes wrong. Again, lots of details here. There are th times that things go wrong and your van catches on fire. We don't want that to happen. But you can see from this little experiment here that electricity in and of itself isn't that scary. So do some more research, but don't be afraid to wire your own van. It can be done and you can do it. All right, I want to talk about a product review of all strange things. I want to do a product review of a sink drain, but it's a very nice one. It is the Camco Flexible Camper Drain, number 37420. This drain is designed for RVs. It's, it's shaped in such a way that it will do all the functions of a normal sink drain, but take up very little space. So a sink drain does more than you might think at first. I mean, obviously it lets the water out without it leaking on the floor, but it also prevents odor from coming back up. If you look under any sink, usually you'll have a trap under there, it's called. It's a P trap or an S trap. They call it S traps because the S is for stink. It's a stink trap. You're trying to get the smell from coming up. And the way it does that is the bit of the pipe that sits down there fills with water and the smell can't go through the water. This drain does that in a similar way, but the water is in a very limited space. So what you end up with is a drain that only sticks down from the bottom of the sink an inch, maybe an inch and a half, maybe two inches at the most. And then you have this nice flexible hose that you can send anywhere. And that's all you need. It saves a ton of space and it's super easy. Now these things, when I bought them, uh, well, I actually bought two for some reason. I only needed one. It was about $10, which I thought was a bargain. Now looking today, I see they're about $17, which actually is still a bargain, even though it's a lot more money. I'll have a link in the show notes and you do kind of need to see a picture of this thing to understand it. But that is the Camco Flexible Camper Drain 37420. And honestly, I don't think I would ever use any other kind of drain in any van that I built. All right, let's talk about a really cool place to visit. It's in Mitchell, South Dakota. Now, if you're familiar with American geography, Mitchell, South Dakota might ring some bells because that is the home of the famed Corn Palace. And no, that's not where I'm telling you to go because I was very underwhelmed by the Corn Palace. The Corn Palace is basically an exhibition hall. You know, it's just a, uh, it's a place where they have concerts and shows and it's fine. The thing that makes it special is that they decorate the outside with corn uh, in a mosaic pattern. And that's it. Is it worth driving hundreds of miles to see this thing? I don't think so. So when I got there and saw the Salt Palace, I was like, oh man, so what else is there to see? Well, across the street, there is this very, very strange biblical display center. It's kind of like a big room filled with all these biblical or like dioramas of biblical times. It's one of the weirdest and creepiest places I've ever visited in my life. And no, that's also not where I'm telling you to go. Although you certainly can if you like creepy and weird. No, I'm telling you to go to a really cool place that's well worth driving hundreds of miles. It is called the Mitchell Prehistoric Indian Village. Now, anytime you've done any touristy stuff with the words Indian village in it, you've probably been in some kind of a tourist trap that sells fake moccasins and tomahawks and no, 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 no. Forget all that. This is the real. You see, archaeologists found this site near Mitchell 
that uh, Native Americans lived in, and not just any Native Americans. These were Native Americans before the Native tribes that we might be familiar with. These folks didn't have a name that we're familiar with because they were long gone by the time Columbus got here. But they didn't just sit around. This wasn't just a village where people lived. It was a factory. And it took the archaeologists a while to realize what was going on here. Basically, they would process buffalo in such large quantities that we know it was for export. It's kind of an amazing thing. We we have this image of native peoples kind of just like foraging for food and sustenance living, but no, they had an advanced civilization with long distance communication and networks of trade, and this was one of those centers. The entire place is is fascinating. I mean, it's it's kind of split into sections. There's an outdoor section and then there is there are basically two indoor sections. One is a museum with some really cool stuff in it. And the other is this thing called the Archaeodome, which is an archaeological dig site under a big dome. And it has these viewing areas around it. And you can come and, and see people work at certain times of the year. There are universities there working. Or you can just see what the site looks like at any time. Anyway, a gem. I love this place. The people are wonderful. The place is wonderful. You may not have ever heard of it, but that only makes it better. Go there, check it out. The Mitchell Prehistoric Indian Village in Mitchell, South Dakota. One of my favorite places I've ever stumbled across. Okay, time for a quick Tales from the Road. I don't know why I say that as plural. I'm only going to tell you one. But anyway, here's the one I'm going to tell you today. I used to work for a company called RPS. That stood for Roadway Package Systems. And if that sounds like UPS to you, that's perfect because they were competing with UPS. It was a package delivery service. And I was uh, someone who loaded trucks. So all night long, while you guys were sleeping, I was outside or in an unheated building loading these trucks so people could get the deliveries during the day wasn't the worst job I've ever had, but uh, it was okay. I mean, it was fine. But I was about to move to Utah when I was doing this. And this was in Woburn, Massachusetts, if anyone cares. And uh, I was trying to save money. I needed to, you know, move. I needed a lot of money. So I would try to work twice every day. I would do this job, and then I would try to hook up with a driver who would take me around, and I'd be his helper for the day. One day, I, I did that, and we were delivering packages in downtown Boston, which is hellacious, as you might imagine. It is really tough. And at the end of the day, we're driving back to Woburn, and the driver's getting a little tired, and he says, hey, would you mind driving back? And I said, well, no, I don't mind. I had a commercial driver's license, so driving the big van wasn't that big of a deal. But what happened next was a little unexpected. We were on 495, which, if you're familiar with Boston, you know is a very busy road. And in fact, it's like every other 495 I've ever encountered. And we're doing maybe 50 miles an hour, which was a pretty good clip for near rush hour. And he got up and walked into the back of the van while I was sitting safely buckled in the passenger seat. Apparently, he thought I would just get out of my seat and walk over to the driver's seat and grab the wheel. Um... He literally climbed onto one of the shelves in back and went to sleep. Not instantly, but that was his intention, because before he could fall asleep, I was like, what the hell? And I quickly undid my seatbelt and did exactly as he knew I would, jumped across the van and grabbed the steering wheel and drove us back to the depot. One of the strangest, most unexpected things I've ever seen anybody do, and I never ever went out with that guy again because holy cow 
So, yeah, don't do that. Wow. Okay, I've got a resource request for you here. Um, imagine you want to change the radio in your van. A lot of people want to do this because a lot of the radios that come with vans are just not that good. Or maybe you want CarPlay or Android Auto. Well, one of the things you have to do is figure out how many DIN your radio is. That's D, D-I-N. I should probably look that up. There, I looked it up. Did you miss me? It stands for, I kid you not, Deutsch Industrie Norman, which I'm assuming is the German industrial standard for how big a radio should be. <laughs> so whenever you see the term DIN, that's what radios are measured in. In the 70s, your car radio would most certainly have been a single DIN. That was the kind of the flat size of radio. And now, with all the touchscreens and everything, they're getting much bigger to be double-din or two-din, which is uh, normal. That's the size of two 1970s radios, and then bigger and bigger. Anyway, doesn't matter. You don't have to care about any of that, because I'm going to give you a resource here that's going to solve all your radio problems. Again, this is not paid. It's just somebody I've used a lot and who has come through for me when I've needed them. And that is Crutchfield. Crutchfield. That's crutchfield.com. C-R-U-T-C-H-F-I-E-L-D. Crutchfield.com. Crutchfield has an amazing tool on here where you simply type in what kind of van you have and it will tell you what radios will fit it. But better than that, it will make a parts list for you of every part you need to have your van have the radio. Now, in my van, I have steering wheel controls. And I was concerned that, hmm, if I put in another radio, I'm going to lose the steering wheel controls. Well, no, they had an adapter for it, and I was able to find that on Crutchfield. They also had the antenna adapter and a wiring harness that it was plug-and-play. I basically bought a Pioneer radio and just plugged it in. It was really easy. I put the radio in in about 20 minutes. Crutchfield is really a good resource if you're looking for radios and other electronics, too. They may not be the cheapest, but honestly, because they're so helpful, and, and you can talk to them and ask all kinds of questions, they'll be very responsive. Even if it costs more, it's worth it because you want to keep these guys around. So again, crutchfield.com. I'll have a link in the show notes. All right, one last thing. Um, my friend Shauna, who I've mentioned before, um, her life has been turned kind of upside down because of COVID. She had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that was taken away from her because of the travel restrictions, and I feel terrible about that. So I'm going to answer one of her questions, which won't help her at all, but hey, we'll at least get the question answered. Shauna is someone who wants to get rid of plastic in her life. She hates single-use plastic. She thinks it's a scourge on the earth. And having traveled the world myself and seen the plastic pollution everywhere, I can completely get where she's coming from. So if you're living in a van, how do you avoid plastic? Well, it's tough. It's tough, I'll tell you. I mean, there is a non-plastic solution for almost everything. Now, we're talking about single-use plastic here. If parts of your van are made out of plastic, that doesn't count. That's fine. We're talking about baggies and grocery bags and all that. Again, we're in COVID times where you're not supposed to bag your own groceries. You're supposed to use the plastic bags. We're going to put that aside for now and pretend that's all over with. And hopefully by the time you're listening to this, it is. Yes, you can really, really limit plastics in your van. There's a, You can use glass, and yes, you got to worry about it breaking. Um, you can use cloth bags, obviously. But there are areas where plastic is oh so handy in a van. I use 
plastic bags in my van for all kinds of things. Not only to store things, but also uh, as trash bags. I, I never buy trash bags. I put all my trash in plastic bags. And you might say, well, that's easy to solve. Just put them in paper bags. Yeah, you can do that, but messy things make paper bags wet and weak and they leak and that's not so good thing and that's really the thing with plastic is how do you overcome the leaky problem well the easiest way to figure out the answers to that is to go back in time before we had plastic how did your great 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 grandparents keep things that were going to leak well in big hard containers and that is really your answer anything in a van that you would normally keep in a plastic bag you're going to have to keep in a container of some kind. And one thing you can do, and I don't know if this meets your requirement or not, Shauna, is those Ziploc containers, they're washable. They're disposable, but not really. You can keep them or not. I don't think they're a terrible solution because again, they're a plastic that is reused. But if you're gonna be a plastic purist, that isn't gonna help either because sure, these things are gonna wear out and you're gonna throw them out and then you're gonna have more plastic in the environment. So, I think your solution is going to be two things. One is tinfoil. You can do an awful lot with tinfoil that is what you would use plastic for. Tinfoil is waterproof. It's malleable. You can put things in it. Uh, certainly, if you're going to put things in the fridge or freezer, you can wrap them in tinfoil almost as easily as you can use a Ziploc bag. You just have to be a little bit careful. And the other one is wax paper, which we don't see so much anymore since plastic is so ubiquitous. But wax paper is also waterproof and airtight, so you can use that to cover a lot of things too. So your big two problems with plastic in the van are trash and storing food. And yeah, it's actually not that hard to solve both of those problems. So Shauna, I think that when you do go to van life, you're not going to have that much of a problem avoiding plastic. Although for me, I like having plastic in the van. I like reusing those shopping bags as trash bags. I mean, after all, people buy plastic trash bags anyway. Why not just use the plastic shopping bags and then reuse them as trash? That is better than buying them, I think. And for food, I like Ziploc bags because they save space. And that's kind of one of the trade-offs. Plastics help you save space. Containers are generally are going to be that same size. I mean, okay, sure. So if you have some leftover stew, you could wrap it up in tin foil. But it's going to be awkward and messy. Foil also has a little bit of environmental problem in that it also doesn't biodegrade. Aluminum foil takes a really long time to, to go away. Wax paper, not so long. So I, I hope that gives you some insight into it. Just like the goldfish problem at the beginning, this is a problem that can be solved. And I think as a community, you will find solutions for all of these things if you want to completely avoid plastic. There's a funny thing, though, I've noticed, is that a lot of the YouTube channels of people who are trying to avoid plastic, if you look at them carefully, they nearly always have a disposable bottle of water somewhere in the video. It's like that's the one thing we can't get away from. And I don't know, I just find that interesting. So best to you, Shauna. I hope that's uh, of some use, but the answer is yes. Well, thank you very much for listening to this episode 20. I absolutely appreciate each and every one of you. Music is by Simon Wag, a.k.a. Sir Mouge. These truly are challenging times we're in, and I really appreciate having this podcast to give me some distraction from it all. I hope it serves as a distraction for you as well. Be kind to yourself, be kind to others, and I'll talk to you next week. <laughs>